Welcome to The Culture Bar, a panel discussion podcast exploring, dissecting and shedding light on important topics in the arts and music world which matter to you. Hello all, we have just recorded a fantastic podcast about how the arts can respond to the climate emergency. That was with Sam Lee, Crispin Woodhead and Alex Sobel MP. That podcast will be out on the 22nd of April, so do check it out. And Alex is kindly with us again now for a quick one-on-one, an after-hours chat, a fireside chinwag, if you will, to discuss issues relating to the arts more broadly. Alex is a member of the UK Parliament, whose constituency is Leeds Northwest, and he is also Shadow Minister for the Arts, Heritage and Tourism. So if you don't mind, Alex, we're going to dive straight in. Now, Alex, we had colleague Jamie Stone, MP, on the podcast recently. And since then, he's been leading a campaign to repurpose the 120 million pounds for the Festival UK, AKA the Brexit Festival. Is that something which you endorse? Well, I mean, what's the bigger event this year, Brexit or um, COP and the UK's presidency of G7? Wouldn't it be much better to have um, a climate emergency festival or a net zero festival? Obviously the chair, net zero PPG, I would put a bid in for the UK Net Zero Festival, um, I, I could volunteer to chair the committee. So yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. Well, hopefully there will also be responses within that brief for the Festival UK to the climate emergency, but it's interesting to be aware of that. But um, as a time of talking, the budget came out uh, a couple of days ago and more generally, is there any comfort the arts and heritage and the sector more broadly can take from the budget? The budget was a short-term response to COVID, if we're honest. And lots of organisations were looking at a cliff edge. And for many of those organisations, the cliff edge has been moved forward, which is, which, is, which is the pattern of the government. Cliff edge approaches, they move the cliff edge. And those that were on the cliff, if you like, that they're saved temporarily. So, you know, the announcements around furlough, the announcements around business rates, the announcements around VAT, tourism and hospitality. If you're running a music venue or a nightclub or you're in an arts organisation where you're furloughed, then that is all good news. The, the government, I think, sold something that wasn't really a solution in the fact that, that Rishi Sunak said that, that they were going to include a big group of people who've been excluded for all support, which disproportionately hits creative industries. So the, the, the three mil excluded, the gaps in support um, for COVID, a group of people. So he included people who'd, who'd registered for self-employment later and done a, and done a return for 2019-20. But, but the, the excluded UK's analysis shows that that's only 155,000 out of 3 million. So great for that 155,000, absolutely. But it doesn't resolve the problem. We're still, we're still actually in excess of 3 million excluded. And that, that is devastating for those individuals. What we've seen, actually, and I've got personal experiences in my constituencies, people who were involved in the creative industries, whether that was in, I've got um, a guy who was a, a lighting rig guy i've got people who are artists they've gone for retraining and they've left the creative industries and i'm not sure they're going to go back well one of the other elements that's quite pertinent to the arts which was perhaps missed out on this budget and there's been there's been lobbying for some time is about insurance indemnity now this has been extended to the film industry but not to other elements of the creative industries and do you know why that might be um i i don't because this was raised during the Brexit touring debate. This was raised in the petitions committee discussion. That so so DCMS ministers, if they weren't aware of it before, 
because of COVID, they became very acutely aware of it because of the Brexit touring issue. And, um, you know, a lot of festivals have announced, including Leeds Festival, which is obviously my local major music festival, which I think this year will be the largest music festival in the UK because we've got no Glastonbury because it was obviously very early in the season, too close to the, to the date where festivals can start. And those festivals, although announced, might not go ahead because they can't afford the insurance costs or can't get insurance. And so we, they need that insurance indemnity scheme. And those festivals need to happen because those festivals are a lifeline to, to tens of thousands of musicians and other creatives. Festivals aren't just about musicians. They're about comedians. They're about writers. They're about visual artists. They're around a whole range of people. And then obviously all the infrastructure supports them all of the lighting people, the sound people, the rigging people, that whole, you know, and, and then and then also all of the touring vans and, and buses. There's, there's a whole huge supply chain here supporting, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs. And and if if they can't get insurance, that's that that is gonna create a huge hole in the economy. I've not seen the analysis, but but I think it's over a billion pound hole in the economy if if because mm. just because of this tiny bit that the government could just unlock by backing or indemnifying the festival insurance you know which they have as you rightly said have done for the film industry so hopefully i mean there's still time there's still time we're only in march so the government could still come around to it it doesn't need a budget for them to make that decision well let's hope so and it's great to hear that you're lobbying for that um you mentioned about leeds festival i'm sure that's what you're obviously of course very passionate about but i'm also aware that leeds were putting together a bid to be the European capital of culture in 2023. And of course, um, I believe they're no longer um, able to do that as part of the Brexit agreement, but I gather they've pivoted. I thought this is a story worth celebrating, that they're still going to have a cultural year of celebration in 2023. Um, yeah, it would be great to hear yeah, your thoughts so, on that. So absolutely. Um, so, so, I mean, I was on the council when this all happened still, um, um, as the lead for climate change, and, 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 and we tried through various routes to, to retain that capital of culture, but the EU are very clear, if you're not in the EU, and you're not um, a, a state bidding to become in the EU, because we have had European capital culture in, in countries that aren't members of the EU, but are bidding to, to join the EU, accession countries. Um, so, so that was really disappointing news. So I, I firmly believe that Leeds would have been the European capital culture if, if we could have stayed. So the, the council decided to pivot and have a year of culture. Um, and it was the right decision in many ways because when we made the decision, um, when we were bidding for the European capital culture, Channel 4 hadn't decided where they were moving, but they decided to move to Leeds. Mm. Um, the, the government hadn't decided they were gonna have a British library in the North and hadn't decided where it's gonna be, but it's gonna be in Leeds. I think if we'd abandoned our commitment to culture, we wouldn't have had that inward investment creating hundreds of jobs into the Leeds economy. There are opponents, you know, the, cap the city council budget is very tight. You know, the government cuts to councils up and down the country have meant, have meant that, that, that things which are not statutory have been at risk. Leeds has cut the amount of money that it's giving to the, to the, to the year of culture. Um, and, and we do need the private sector to pick that up um, uh, so we can have a successful year. But there are still critics who are saying they should scrap it completely. But I, my very strong view is that culture is part of our recovery. It's part of our um, the need that, that it also brings in other investment. We've just got the National Infrastructure Bank in the budget as well. And I think all of that draws people to be in Leeds, stay in Leeds. You know, and for Leeds to be a vibrant 
capital of the north alongside Manchester and Liverpool and Newcastle and Sheffield and the other big cities of the north to, to, as a counterweight to London. So people feel they've got careers in the north and northern cities in all areas and culture is really important part of that as is transport as is housing so th those so so those th that decision by the city has already paid dividends will continue to pay dividends although it is a strain on its budget well that's really great to hear and i mean one thing i wanted to ask you is also about the North-South divide, the government's ambitions to level up the country, and, and with that in an arts context, I mean, I've got some figures here that culture funding per head in London, this is between uh, 2010 to 2018, was £687 per head, but in the rest of the UK, it's £144. Does that demonstrate that there's levelling up happening? Doesn't sound like it. And, and also the value which of, um, of the arts in the UK more broadly, but specifically outside of London. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the North-South economic divide because there are places in the south of England, you know, if you think of somewhere like Cornwall, which are mm. also hugely disadvantaged, which also have low um, per head funding on, on a whole range of issues. Um, but I think that we've got a structural problem in this country, which I'm really passionate about, that we have the most centralised country in Europe. You know, we've got these forms of devolution. We're about to have a Metro Mayor in West Yorkshire, who actually the, the Labour candidates, Tracy Braben, a huge, you know, former actress, director, producer, writer, a huge cultural figure, political cultural figure. So, you know, so we're going to hopefully have that, that cultural dividend um, if she's elected mayor. Um, but um, the, the problem is, is that, is that we don't have, we, we should be a federal country where we have whatever the ge geographic boundaries that are, we have full devolution with devolved powers, with tax raising powers. And that means that, that we can spend that money, we can make those decisions much more locally, regionally, rather than decisions all being made by a man sat in Downing Street, or two men, to be fair, Boris and Rishi, sat in Downing Street, deciding what's going to happen all around the country on a postcode lottery. That is not what happens in France or Germany or Italy or Spain. And that is why if you go to those countries, that, that many of the other cities, Germany's a really good example of this, you know, um, have got, you know, huge cultural dividends, huge transport dividends, huge housing dividends, because the power doesn't all reside in the capital of the country, it resides in the regions. And we need to, yeah. Sorry, go on. You go on, sorry. I was just gonna, we need to recast our constitutional settlement so there's much more power in the regions. I think that will also have an effect on the UK constitutionally because we are breaking apart at the seams and you know that there is increased pressures for parts of the UK, Northern Ireland, Scotland specifically, to no longer be part of the UK and, mm. and I think this all is part of that constitutional settlement and I have to be very critical of the Conservative parties, their conservatism has created this and they have unleashed a whirlwind and they need to redistribute power to balance that, that whirlwind and calm it down. Could you argue that, that more devolution, more local um, politics will actually lead to more bureaucracy, more cost? So is it actually more effective? Does the money um, go to the heart of the issue? I mean, it, it isn't, you know, if you look, if you look at those other countries, um, that isn't the case. And, and the reality is, you know, the argument of bureaucracy, the percentage, if, if you have, you know, particularly if you have lean institutions, bureaucracy is a very small amount of cost compared to the dividends you'll get in inward investment, in tax take, in um, in knowing where the need is and how to spend it. 
you know if you if you make if you if, if you have just because you've centralized your bureaucracy doesn't mean there's there's you know there's going to be any cheaper fair enough so it's actually by having that local knowledge local authorities it's more effective spending as well yeah I mean, it's also about, you know, we're, we're quite a large country, you know, in, in particularly in European terms, you know, our population's nudging 80 million. So um, it's about having units which stack up, you know, having having units of around 5 million, 4, 5, 6, 7 million people does make sense bureaucratically. I'm not suggesting that we make parishes, you know, villages of 5,000 people responsible for, for collecting income tax. That would be absurd. You know, but I'm talking about putting, um, having, having regions, many of which will be the size of Belgium. That's what I'm suggesting, which mm. itself is a regional country, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm mindful of the time. I'm going to ask you two more things, if that's okay. Um, and I'm going to shift gear. Um, I'm going to shift gear to contested heritage. That's been quite a pertinent issue recently. I know heritage is also part of your brief. And there was a meeting very recently between Oliver Dowden and um, the various uh, people that are running the museums around, around the country. And there's been lots of kickback, in particular for the National Trust and um, Professor Corinne Fowler's report on colonialism and the history of slavery, particularly also from the Conservative government. But um, what are your thoughts on contested heritage? Should we be highlighting some of our difficult past or should we be glossing over it? I mean, it's, it's very interesting because the government are picking and choosing what is contested heritage. So, um, so I believe very strongly in academic and curatorial independence. So we have to allow institutions to, to have their independence and for government not to interfere in it. We need to have um, transparent um, grant making processes which aren't politically influenced. You know, if I was the minister and, and I was in charge of grant process, I wouldn't be signing off on grants because my politics might influence them. There might be some quite conservative institution doing something, you know, that I'm not particularly interested in. And I would like I'm not signing off this grant because it doesn't speak to the concerns of my constituents or working class communities or whatever it is. But that really shouldn't be my decision. And the same thing goes for, for, for Oliver Dowden. And so once you know it's right for the government set criteria but that criteria has to um respect that um academic and curatorial independence and allow um you know a neutral process once it's set and i think that they're also picking and choosing because there's bits of our heritage which are being dismantled by the government without any without any support so for instance there's a project in um near banbury uh, um around um um the sort of work that was done during the Cold War and the government, they're not giving it any support, um, but that is also part of our history, contested history as well. So on one hand, they're saying this is settled history, don't contest it. And on the other hand, they themselves, you know, are, are taking um, actions. It just depends on which period you choose. And so that doesn't make any sense. If they're saying, well, in this period, we're not contesting, in this period we are contesting, you know, how it just doesn't it doesn't it's it, it it just just looks like they're playing politics with it yeah and i think that's a very um important point to highlight and i know there's been reports about museum and heritage sectors being their funding being threatened if they're not um highlighting certain issues or rather if they're 
well, if they're not, not downplaying certain issues, which of course, as you say, we need that independence. Um, do you think that independence also extends to the BBC as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, state, state broadcasters in many places and historically have been broadcasters directed by the state, but that's never been, that's never been the, it's never been the UK tradition and, um, and shouldn't be. So uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big defender of the licence fee. The BBC has changed, has adapted. You know, you just need to look at something like the Sounds app or iPlayer. They, they are public service broadcaster, but they're also, they also provide content for, for, for groups that are indicated for. I mean, I, I alluded in, uh, uh, earlier, like the, um, you know, I listen, to, I listen to Radio 6 a lot. You know, who else would provide that content if the BBC didn't provide it? Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I think I think that we that, that the BBC should be a cherished institution, and the government should, you know, through through DCMS and through the levers it's got, such as appointing the chair of the BBC, etc., um, encourage it to reform and change and stay um, relevant. If the BBC becomes irre irrelevant, um, then then there'll be a problem. But that doesn't seem to me to be what's happening at the moment. The decision just this week to bring BBC Three back. To, to, to being a broadcast channel was that was was because they had really successful shows online like years and years for instance um at, or um the one at the moment um pru or crew that pupil referral unit so so that and they they they, they reacted to that reacted to the market and brought it back and that's that's exactly the way the bbc should operate here here um i would love to go into more detail about these sort of things but i'll I'm just going to shift gear one last time for one last point. Um, one of the things which our industry would also like some comfort on is knowing that there is some um, consensus amongst governments to try and resolve the issue with work permits, travelling and working in the EU. Um, there's been lots of he said, she said the EU claim that the UK rejected the offer and vice versa. Do you know what, the, what actually happened and also what is being done right this minute to help resolve I mean this issue? <laughs> We just talk about contested history. We're just going through <laughs> contested contemporary history here. So, um, you know, there's a letter um, from the EU to, um, I think, I think it's either an Irish MP or, or a minister, which which says, you know, what you've just said that that it was the UK's decision, and then Carolyn Dynage saying in the chamber that it was the EU's decision. Now, really, I'm going to reflect what the industry said. We, we don't really care. Like whose decision it is now, it just needs resolving, and the and, and and my very strong view is that the officials from DCMS and the Home Office and potentially Bayes and the Cabinet Office just need to get in a room with the EU, whether it's a Zoom room or a real room, uh, and just and just hammer it out before the summer hits. Because once touring's back, once the festival circuit's back, you know we talk about UK festivals. What about European festivals? UK it's European festivals. You know, for some artists. That is a lifeline for them this year. You know, either the UK festival circuit or the European festival circuit or a, or a combination of both. Um, and and so they've they've really got a couple of months to resolve this. And they and they need to and they can't just resolve one issue. They can't just resolve the work permits issue. They need to resolve all of the issues. They need to resolve the cabotage issue. They need to resolve the equipment hire issue. They need to resolve all the issues together. They need to have a cohesive package. Um, and um, it is possible without any treaty change and so they just need to really focus down and get it done 
Do you, do you think that sense of urgency is felt in DCMS? Because we certainly feel it. I work in, in touring at the moment, and you can already feel promoters' apprehension about engaging UK ensembles, which, of course, is the last thing we want. And as, as you mentioned earlier, that soft power is, is vital for the UK. I think they are feeling it. I think they are feeling it. Whether they're acting on it, I can't tell, but I hope that they are. And, and it's fair enough they're doing it without running a public commentary. I completely understand that. As, as, but the important thing is the outcome mm. and that we get an outcome before the summer you know, and outcome 2022 is not not really very helpful I mean it's obviously better than no outcome at all but but you know really should happen for this summer absolutely and and could I ask what what are you doing to help help that process along I mean um I've I've written I've written to Oliver Dowden on this um, and this isn't directly my brief because I don't I don't cover that bit so so in the debates and everything it's been Ali McGovern who's responded but I've been working with Ali like I said earlier I, I was speaking to various musicians and, and venue promoters there's a new organisation touring which I think is called Touring UK but I might have got that wrong and I, I, I dropped a line to its chair Stuart Galbraith and I spoke to local people around it and just just I'm engaging with with the sector um i'm engaged with live music trust and music uk you know I, I was in a meeting just last week with uh people like melvin ben and, and sasha lord on this issue as well and trying to and we're having a whole team response to support ali who's the main shadow minister in her work with the government so you know there's there's a whole team effort in the shadow dcms team this is right at the top of our agenda um but at the end of the day we can't negotiate with the eu only the government can well, Alex, thank you so much for your time and for your, all your efforts championing the causes for the arts. We look forward to seeing how all that develops. Mm -hmm.